going to start off with a story of when I went to college. <laughs> Who remembers the day that uh, they first made the journey towards college? I was um, 18 at the time. I packed two massive suitcases because I was flying to Australia, a country I had never been to before, that I'd only really experienced through movies or TV or through the limited uh, Australian friends that I had in Hong Kong at the time. Uh, but I wasn't scared. I was all about it. I couldn't wait to finally leave my parents' home and live on my own in Australia and start college. So I went there and I uh, settled down there on my own. I applied for a bank account on my own. I applied for a tax file number, which is the Australian equivalent of the social security number here. And I uh, went grocery shopping for the first time on my own. I made my first home-cooked meal, which is actually more difficult than the first two things I mentioned because I'd never made a meal for myself before unless it was a home ec class. And uh, you know, I, I stepped into all these challenges, these perceived challenges, but I didn't think anything of it because I was so ready to be there. And now, 14 years later, uh, the very thought of going back to school scares me. <laughs> I've always wanted to apply uh, to do a master's program in something, and, um, but I'm really scared. And I thought, at first, when I was thinking about it, I was fresh out of college, and I thought, you know, let me just wait a few years until I have a few years' work experience under my belt, then it'll actually mean something when I do a master's program. So I waited a few years, and then I ended up here in the United States, and I thought, you know, let me just settle into this country and, and living here before I apply. And so I did that, and then, uh, you know, life happened, and I had a couple of children, and I thought, well, you know, let's just wait until the kids are a little bit older before I start a master's program. You know, nobody wants to be studying while you're waking up and feeding the baby. And if you've done that, more power to you. So I thought, let me just, let me just do that. And then uh, now the kids are older. Um, they're both in school. I thought, now this is a good time to apply for my master's. And, um, and then I think, you know what? I didn't anticipate that kids would be so expensive. So. I, I should probably wait. The responsible thing to do would be to wait until I'm more financially secure. And so I come up with all these excuses as to why I shouldn't apply for a master's program. But if, I, if I'm honest with myself and I really take the time to think about it, I'm scared that I won't do well. I'm scared that I'll go there and um, 14 years have gone by and I, and I won't know how to write an essay. I won't know how to cite articles and books. And so I think, you know, what would be worse than not doing well is failing. So every time I go online to download an application, it's that fear of failure that, that paralyzes me. And so I just don't want to go through with it. And so I pose this question now to you. Is there anything out there that, um, that you desire, a challenge that you'd like to do, something that you've always wanted to do? What next step have you wanted to do, but there's, for some reason, you've been afraid to undertake? And it could be, it could be anything, it could be something simple, like maybe you've always wanted to take art classes or take music classes, it could be a, as simple as that. Or it could be more challenging, like applying for that job or that uh, position in your company, that promotion. What's stopping you from applying for that? It could be something more personal. Maybe it's taking that next level of commitment in your relationship or stepping out of that relationship altogether. It could be, Jonathan talked about serving in our community. It could be making a commitment to serving. 
What's stopping you from going that next step in the right direction into where the desires of your heart are leading you? And as we think of the passage that uh, Maurice read earlier, the angel Gabriel uh, appeared to Mary and said that she was about to bear the Messiah. And she says, how is this possible? Because I'm a virgin. And Gabriel explains it to her and she's like, all right, sounds good to me, and accepts it, just like that. They only exchange a few sentences and she's ready to take it upon herself to, get, to be pregnant and do something that could potentially get her killed. She's okay with it. She's not freaking out about this. I don't understand how she's not asking Gabriel even more questions about this. And um, I think the whole thing, when you, when you read it, I, I wonder, like, how is this even possible? It just sounds, I'm trying to find a better word than wacky, but that's the one that's coming up to me right now. So let's unpack this passage and really get into the meat of what it's talking about. What do we know about Mary? So we know that Mary is young, that when Gabriel appears to her, Mary at this point is engaged to Joseph and that she's a virgin. We know that Mary and Joseph are poor. We know this because when, she, when Jesus is born, she goes to present Jesus at the temple. And usually what families do is they sacrifice a big animal like a goat or a sheep, but they can't afford to buy a goat or a sheep to sacrifice. So all they can afford is the bare minimum, which is two small doves. So that's what they buy to sacrifice at the temple. We know as well that Mary is favored by God. We know this by Gabriel's greeting to her. Gabriel says, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. And this is a really famous greeting that, that Gabriel says. It's so famous that Catholics have a prayer that is all about this greeting. Who knows the prayer, Hail Mary? The prayer, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you, is based on that first greeting that Gabriel says. Um, who knows the song Ave Maria? I sang this song as a kid back when I could sing. Um, yeah, I was part of a children's choir, believe it or not, and we sang this song at a Catholic church for someone's wedding. I sang it in Latin, and I didn't even know what it meant until I sat down to write this sermon. I mean, that's how significant this greeting is. And so after Gabriel greets her in this way, the passage says that Mary is perplexed. She's not wondering why there's an angel that's appeared in front of her. She's perplexed and is wondering what's up with this greeting. She's perplexed. There, if this were me and an angel appeared before me, let's be real, I'd be freaking out. I might scream, my heart would drop. I'd wondered, what did I eat last night? Am I hallucinating? What is going on right now? But Luke writes that Mary is perplexed. So she's calm. She's collected. Now, what confuses me, though, is what the angel says afterwards. Gabriel says, do not be afraid. Now, there's a huge difference between being perplexed and being afraid. That's not the same thing. So why would Luke write, do, why would Luke write that Gabriel says, do not be afraid, instead of do not be confused? Because clearly, that's closer to what Mary was feeling, perplexed. And so I went back and I thought, there's got to be something significant about do not be afraid. So I went back and I did some research and I saw that the phrase do not be afraid is used five times in the book of Luke. And it's said in very specific instances to very specific people. 
So these words are said very intentionally. And what Luke is trying to do is tie all these people together. And so the, these people all have a, something in common, one, particularly, one particular thing in common, and that is that they are people that have been typically pushed to the margins in society. So here's the list up here. So the first up, we hear, uh, do not be afraid, and it's said to Zechariah. Um, Jonathan spoke about Zechariah a couple weeks ago. Zechariah is elderly, and he's married to an elderly woman. So the elderly were deemed as useless in society then and pushed to the margins. She was all, his wife was also barren, his wife Elizabeth. So someone who's barren then was seen as cursed as well. So the second time we hear do not be afraid is to Mary. Mary, as I mentioned before, is a poor teenage girl. She's in her preteen. She's around, scholars say that she was around 13 to 15 years old when Gabriel appeared to her. A young, poor teenage girl of no real use to society at that time. Uh, the third instance was with Simon Peter. Simon Peter outright says, I'm a sinner. Now, no one wants to have anything to do with a sinner then. Push to the margins. The fourth instance is with Jairus. Um, so I'll refresh your memory. Jairus is the father of the young girl that Jesus raised from the dead. And so then, and even in some cultures now, the dead or dying are seen as unclean. So they're pushed to the margins, right? And for, to have someone so young in your home dying, people would think, what have you done in your life to have brought such illness, such curse in your, in your family life? So there, again, no one wants to associate with someone like that. And the last are the disciples. Jesus speaks to the disciples and says, do not be afraid in encouraging them. Now, when you look at that list, none of them were kings or officials or part of the elite or did anything really important. They were all ordinary people. In fact, they were less than ordinary. They were lowly people. They were pushed to the margins because they were seen as being too poor, too young or too old, they were sick or dying, or, a, uh, or they were cursed, or they were a group of smelly fishermen. No one that you really want to associate yourself with. So when Luke writes, Mary is puzzled by Gabriel, Luke wants you not to pay attention to the fact that a, an angel has appeared before Mary, but pay attention to the fact that it appear, appeared towards Mary, an individual who was a bit of a nobody. She was poor, a young teenage girl with no wisdom whatsoever. But somehow, there was something important about her, and it was why she was chosen to bear the Messiah. That's why it was confusing, and that's what Luke wanted you to pay attention to. It's puzzling, because how is it that a Messiah would be born of a lowly commoner, of a nobody? And so when we hear this, uh, this occurrence, this is the second birth announcement that we um, read about in the book of Luke. Um, birth announcement these days are usually on Instagram or on Facebook. Uh, the, when, uh, when we were about to have Misha, Misha's my youngest, we, we made our birth announcement. We did this really cute picture where Mike lined his shoes up and then I lined my shoes up, then Michaela's shoes and then Maya's shoes, and then we put two little baby booties at the little at the end there, and then I said, our home is expanding by two feet. It's a good pun, right? <laughs> I thought it was really cute. But see, back then, they didn't have the internet. 
So birth announcement, I guess, had to be via celestial being. Um, so that was the second birth announcement. The first birth announcement was when Gabriel appeared to Zechariah. And as I mentioned before, Zechariah was an elderly man with an elderly barren wife. So here are these two stories of two women back to back. Two women who are, women in patriarchal times are perceived to be people who, you know, should really just not even be seen or heard. They're unimportant. More so because one is barren and, and elderly and the other is young and doesn't know anything without wisdom. But somehow, Luke emphasizes the story of these two women and who they are because it's significant. Why is it significant? It's significant because their stories are what set up the entire theme of the book of Luke. Their stories are the stories that we read of in the book of Luke where Jesus is elevating lowly commoners, lowly nobody people. They're stories of Jesus elevating them because they've been oppressed by religion or by society. And Jesus elevates them throughout the Gospel of Luke. And we, we, this is confirmed by the Magnificat. The Magnificat is the song that Mary sings, the song of praise that she sings, praise for the salvation that's about to come to the people of Israel. And she sings this. He has put down the mighty from their thrones. He exalted the, and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. And now these are all things that are about to happen in the book of Luke. Mary, through her song, it's foreboding this reversing of order that's about to happen. This salvation that has been promised to the people of Israel is about to happen. She's singing a song of praise because the covenant that Jesus promised is a, that God promised is about to be fulfilled. Now, has anyone seen the movie Frozen? Yeah, some, oh good, that's really good. So, you know, a spoiler alert for those of you who haven't seen it. Um, so the movie starts off with these big burly men. Um, they're chopping up blocks of ice to sell somewhere in Scandinavia. I think it's Norway. And uh, they're singing this song in their big, deep, burly voices. And they're singing a song that's the plot of the entire movie. And at the, at, in the song, they say that it, they're about to thaw, it's a, about thawing a frozen heart, which is what happens at the end of the movie. Once again, I'm sorry if I've spoiled it for you, but go and watch it, it's really good. So, and Luke is doing the same thing. I mean, really, Luke was beyond his time, wasn't he? In, in highlighting this song that Mary sings, Luke does this because this song is the premise of the entire book of Luke, where... God shows us through Jesus that Jesus is exalting the lowly and bringing down the mighty. Jesus is feeding the poor and the hungry. And Jesus says, if you are rich, it, would, it will be difficult for you to enter the kingdom of God. And so um, we understand now why the angel says, do not be afraid. Because this reversing of systems of power it's a pretty scary thing. I mean, it's radical, it's really great, but it's risky business. And Mary is about to be a part of that process, and she, doesn't, she isn't even scared of undertaking this challenging task because she knows that it's part of ushering in God's promise to God's people. And so she submits willingly. 
she sings, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. She says this to Gabriel, sorry. She says, whatever you say, let it happen to me. And she's unafraid. She could have said no. She could have said, you know what, Gabriel, can you come back in a few months after Joseph and I are married? Because at least that way, I might not be potentially stoned for being pregnant out of wedlock. She didn't say that. She didn't say, come back when we've, we're settled down a little bit and we've found a home so I'm not giving birth in a barn. You know, she didn't say, can you wait a few years because I'm a teenager now, I don't want to be a teenage mom, you know. She doesn't say any of that. She says yes, and she does more than say yes. She does it willingly, submitting, knowing that she was chosen very intentionally by God. She sings this, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful about the humble state of his servant. God was very intentional about choosing Mary and it was her humble state was the reason why she was chosen. She wasn't chosen because she held any kind of title or she was wise in some way or that she was even ready. She wasn't ready to have a baby. They didn't even have a home. Those are not reasons that she was chosen. She was chosen simply for being Mary. It was in her humility and in her simplicity that she was chosen by God. And she wasn't scared. Mary is indicative of what the world perceives as not being enough. But she stepped out of that. She stepped out of her fear and into her calling. And God didn't call her to be any different from who she was. God didn't call us to be any different from who we are sitting here right now in order to usher in greatness. Does anyone know who uh, Malala Yousafzai is? Malala is a uh, Nobel Prize winner. She is a famous activist who advocates for the education of women and children. She grew up in a Taliban-occupied region uh, north of Pakistan. And in her time growing up there, she, uh, it was under Taliban occupation where they banned uh, girls from attending school. And so at that time, it was 2009, she was around 12 years old. So a couple of years younger than Mary was when she was pregnant with Jesus. She was commissioned by BBC Urdu to write for a blog, to write about her experiences of living under Taliban occupation. Now, she knew that she wanted, she had this desire to speak up against the injustices that she was feeling herself and other girls. She wanted to speak up against it. Did she wait? When BBC approached her, do you think she said, can you wait a couple of years until I'm a little more educated or a little older so at least I could be taken seriously? No, she didn't. And it, because she knew it wasn't about her. And that's why she wrote under a pseudonym as well, because she knew it wasn't about her, but it was about the message that was being told. It was about people being informed about what was going on in Taliban-occupied region. And so in late 2008, when she was presented with this opportunity to write for the blog, she knew that she was putting herself in a vulnerable position. She knew that writing against the Taliban regime in this manner might get her killed. But she took up that calling. 
and she ushered in greatness. And this is how. So she wrote her first entry on January 2009, when the Taliban were blowing up schools all throughout her region. In uh, February of that year, the government and, mili and militants were trying to reach an agreement, come together to reach an agreement. And at that time when negotiations were taking place, gunshots could be heard all throughout her hometown. Gunshots day and night and right outside her home. And on one such day, her uh, father went up to her and said, Malala, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid for this firing is for peace. In other words, do not be afraid because the goodness of peace is coming. The first week of March, not even a month later, that ban was lifted and Malala wrote her last, her last blog entry on March 9. Then after that, her, uh, the New York Times got wind of her story and they, um, they wrote an article about her and her face was plastered all over news agencies and TV. So her, her identity was known. And, um, and we don't know if it was because of this blog entry, these blog entries that the Taliban changed their mind on this banning or that the officials were moved to negotiations. We don't know if that was the reason why, but we do know that she still posed a threat, a threat to the Taliban. And we know this because after her identity was exposed um, on a bus ride, she was shot in the head and, and uh, attempted assassination. Miraculously, she survived. And because of that story, news of that story and what had happened to her spread worldwide, bringing attention to the issue of girls being denied education. And that moved the UN to launch a petition calling on countries like Pakistan and other countries to outlaw discrimination against girls and to promise that education be attainable for every child. It was because Malala, at age 12, stepped out of her fear, just like Mary did, and together they were part of a process that ushered in greatness, that ushered in peace for that time. This makes me really emotional because these are two preteen girls changing the world. And what about us? What are we doing? How many of us can honestly say that when presented with an opportunity like that, knowing full well what the risks are, how dangerous it is or how difficult it might be, that we would readily take it up? How many of us would say, you know what, let me just wait a few years, get a few more years experience, or let me just wait until I get this role in this job so, so I have more credibility? Or let me just wait until I earn a little bit more money. How many of us want to achieve this before we can achieve that? God doesn't ask us to get it together before we can show up. God wants us to show up as we are, just like Mary and Malala did. They showed up as they were. They both stepped out of their fear knowing that they could be used as they were, no more no less, knowing that in being brave and in being vulnerable, they were ushering change, ushering in change. So what's holding you back? 
What are you afraid of? What are you waiting for? Are you afraid are you afraid of being vulnerable when you take up that job or that opportunity? Are you afraid of taking that next step in that relationship or going after the desires of your heart? Are you like me and you're afraid of failing? Are you afraid that you might not have enough experience, that you might be too young or too old to pursue this or you're not confident enough? Are you scared that you aren't where you envisioned you would be right now and therefore you can't be over here? What is it that's holding you back? Brene Brown, um, she wrote the book, Daring Greatly, great book. You should check it out if you get a chance. She, um, she wrote about how she was nervous uh, before stepping up and, re and speaking at a TED Talk and how the experience was, was left her so exposed and, and vulnerable. And she writes about what she was afraid of. And she says, we're afraid that our truth isn't enough, that what we have to offer isn't enough without the bells and whistles without editing and impressing. And I can totally resonate with this, because while it's great to stand up here, I'm really thankful for this community that doesn't get distracted by my shell and my appearance, but appreciates what I have to share. Um, but I was invited to a conference about a month ago where I had to speak in front of a group of people as part of a panel. And there were two other panelists there. Uh, one was an activist and a fellow minister. She was halfway through seminary. And the other panelist was also an activist, um, but was, all, was in a band that was touring all over the United States, uh, who also happened to be in that month's issue of People magazine as one of the, wait for it, top 100 sexiest men in 2018, <laughs> along with Idris Elba. And then there was me. <laughs> I had never felt so inadequate. But I shared my story, and it was really well received. But even after sharing it, I felt, you know, I just wish they asked me 12 months from now so I could say, yeah, I've been working as a pastor for over a year. Or I wish it could have been after I'd completed my fellowship so there was more credibility in what I had to share. But the thing is, God called me now as I was, no more and no less. And so I might think, I wish I had all these things so I could be enough. That's not what God desired of me. Barbara Brown Taylor says, you will never be all you want to be, but whatever you will be is enough. And now Mary's song, the Magnificat, is symbolic that God isn't waiting for you to achieve some level of greatness before God's going to use you. God isn't waiting for you to achieve your view or the world's view of your worthiness or validity. God wants you as you are. God wants to use you, wants you to step out of that fear so that, so that you can be used to usher in the new kingdom, to usher in joy and peace and hope just like Mary and Malala did. You are part of that story. You are all Mary and Malala. So I ask as we close, are you ready to take up that invitation? Are you ready to answer to the call, do not be afraid and come as you are? As yourself, no more and no less. 
Let us pray. Dear God, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that I don't have to be any more than who I am standing here right now. I'm thankful that you take me as I am and you use me as I am and you don't have this grand expectation that I put on myself. And I ask God that you make that clear and evident to everyone in this room, that God, that you make it clear to them that they can be used as they are right now, that they are enough, God. God, I ask that you um, enlighten us just a fire of courage to step into our calling, to step into the desires of our heart. We lift this up in your name, God. Amen.